Discord Heavy Metal Radio, bringing you the best metal for over 30 years on CITR. Tune in every Saturday from 1 to 3. listening to the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM. Not, in fact, Power Chord, as the previous, well, previous to previous promo might suggest, but uh, what are you going to do? Um, my name is Jake Clark, and we're broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC campus. And I have a special guest with me today, um, author, speaker, poet, musician, and current UBC student Jean-Michel Coffey is here to talk about his book and assorted ventures uh, across the globe. John, how you doing? I'm good, Jake. How are you doing today? I'm pretty good. Can't complain. It's a nice sunny day, you know. It's just starting to get sweltering. Yeah, beautiful. <laughs> so, you've recently come to atten- the attention of the world as a novelist. Yes. Having written a fantastic book about a story very similar to your own. Could you tell us about that for a little bit? Yeah, I... Last month, I published a book, Refuge E, The Genuine Desire. It's, in fact, a memoir, and uh, it follows my experiences living in the refugee camps in Malawi and in Swaziland. Uh, it details some of the struggles that young people face from time to time in the refugee camps. And basically explores uh, some of the educational challenges and the the setbacks I have had to go through, you know, that to be where I am right now. What were some of those? Oh, well, you, you have a lot of moving around. Uh, for instance, yeah, I originally come from the Democratic Republic of Congo, and then at the age of 11, I had to find myself in a refugee camp in Malawi. Then three years later, we had to move to go to Swaziland. So that's one setback because... Uh, when you keep moving, it's really like you are living an unstable life. And then with that, you don't necessarily move with appropriate documentations. So to register for school, for instance, uh, it's hard. It's hard to find someone who is willing to accept you uh, without appropriate official documents. And that's a challenge that, of course, many refugees face. Yeah. It's a very, very sadly uh, prevalent problem. And would you say that this book is intended to a degree as a communication of that sort of an inspira- inspirational story? Yes. Uh, to a large extent, I'm communicating some of these setbacks and challenges, but also I'm meant to inspire to tell the young refugees in different refugee camps who are reading, uh, like, we can make it out. It's not like the end of the world. So the world is facing a lot of issues. Uh, I was blogging today. Uh, my monthly blog actually writing about the World Refugee Day. Today happens to be the World Refugee Day. And according to the official UN reports, uh, this year, 2018, the number of refugees is at its record high, 68.5 million. Worldwide. Worldwide. (whistles) So (laughs) people living in different refugee camps, I think we need some form of inspiration and for me, having been privileged to be where I am right now, it's my responsibility to also kind of inspire young people who are still out there. And you've gotten to, to, to Canada by way of Germany. What, what was that like? Like, what, how did that come about? Oh, that's a long journey, actually. I can uh, imagine. Very arduous, I should say. So while in Switzerland in 2015... When I completed high school, I was amongst the best students in the country. And uh, for that, I actually worked to obtain a scholarship as well. I applied to two amazing institutions, the United World Colleges and the African Leadership Academy. So UWC, United World Colleges, that is, it's an institution with colleges on 17 different countries, in 17 different countries 
around the globe and they normally uh, admit students who wouldn't be able to pay for their education but who are promising to have a bright future and to impact the world. So UWC offered me a scholarship and through the Swazi National Committee, I was sent to Germany. So I did my IB there at the UWC in Germany and after completing the IB, I started looking into universities, uh, especially in the in the in North America. Uh, UBC was obviously one of my primary choices because of the different wonderful scholarships it offers. That's great to hear. <laughs> yeah, or just it would have been something if we're like, well, UBC was you know at the bottom of my list, but I you know figured figured you guys could use the help. <laughs> Oh no no no! I had I had uh, two main options: Georgetown University in Washington D.C. and UBC. Uh, and UBC was very generous enough to give me an International Leader of Tomorrow Scholarship Award. So that's how I'm here. That seems like a pretty good call there. And you yeah. published the book while here. Yes. And the experience of what? When did you decide to write the book? What? Because you are also a poet and a musician. Yeah. And. Given these means of expression, what was the decision that said, you know, I have to make this as a novel? Actually, uh, I, for that, I will read for you the author's note. Certainly. Uh, so it goes, uh, the Syrian refugee crisis intensified in August and September of 2015. The United World College, UWC, Robert Bosch College community held a meeting on September 7, 2015, arranged by one of the students to discuss how we could address the influx of refugees in Freiburg, Germany, where the school is located. Being a specialist on the matter, I shared my story along with a poem I had written while in Swaziland. The present work, that is this book, uh, was inspired by the community members' encouragement and heartfelt gratitude for how I had informed or changed their perspectives on the lives of refugees. I started writing the, this book while on my trip back to school from winter break on January 6, 2016. I have written this book primarily to share my story. It is by no means a comprehensive account, for there is much more to it than can be expressed in words. I hope Refuge E, the journey much desired, can instill a sense of responsibility in those who are capable of making a difference in the lives of others, especially the lives of refugee youth. And that gives hope to those who need it, no matter the countless obstacles the world continues to put in our way. With love, Jam Coffee. So, as you can tell, yeah, the Syrian refugee crisis, that was a huge influence. Uh, my school, we are a very caring community. UWC is a very caring community. So, gathering around and discussing how we can address the challenges and me getting a platform to actually express from my personal experiences, what I think would be the best approaches, then the community members actually expressing their gratitude on how I had changed my perspective, that was like a push. Has writing the book, has sort of um, putting this story together mm. uh, brought things up from that experience to you, like especially with you know, the community you've come from and the community you've come to? Mm. Uh, yeah, definitely. So I wrote all along during my two years of IB, uh, for those who have done IB before getting to universities, yeah, they will know uh, that it's... Uh, <laughs> it, it can be a little strenuous in points. It is. So having to combine that with my work, obviously I had to get some uh, support from the community. I, in a way, tend more introverted because of that, because I had to exercise the thinking, exercise, thinking from time to time. So the experiences I had in the refugee camps before heading on to Germany uh, to bring them live and actually translate them into words that I can offer as an author uh, was a completely different experience on its own. And I tried to restrain from incorporating what I was experiencing then in Germany uh, because I wanted everything to center around my experiences in the refugee camps to to look back on it yes sort of and evaluate it that's and mm. that's that's a commendable idea especially to give that impression to readers like, like myself who really would not have any touch with that experience mm. in general and that that in and of itself 
to me raise the multiplicity of forms you're sort of working in right now. Yeah. Because y- you have a new book of poetry coming out, and you have a, uh, a-, a- apparently a forthcoming album. Is that right? <laughs> yeah, that's more of a, I- I'm trying to project into the future. That's yeah. uh. It, did that just <laughs> do these things have a similar focus or is it uh yeah different? yeah yeah because even this book itself at some point in time you realize that i talk about my music uh there is a section in the book where i actually incorporate one of the poems i wrote so it's it's not like they're mutually exclusive everything is influenced by my life my experiences i I picked it, I picked on music while still in the refugee camp. That's when I started learning to play guitar. That's when I started uh, playing piano and actually playing keyboard for my church. So even the music that I compose is exp- is in a way influenced by my experiences living in the refugee camps. Is there a, a song or a, a poem or a particular novel that is very influential to you? Something that really informs how you go about your uh, your process? Uh, <laughs> that's a good question. <laughs> Probably not one in particular. Uh, but there is an adventure book. Uh, actually, it's a trilogy by... An author called the Lion Han. Sounds familiar, but I, I don't I don't I don't know if I've read it. Yeah, Lion Han. He, I, I'm not sure where he's from. Actually, he might be American, and he writes tales of the Otori. So these experiences follow a young boy whose village is massacred, and he's the only one who survives. Uh, but then he goes on to actually be the ruler of. The entire territory. It's set in feudal Japan. Ah. So, <laughs> so, so really sort of a started from the bottom to the top yes. story. So that, that I read that when I first arrived in, when I first started school actually in Swaziland. I was very bored because, you know, being a refugee, being different, in the inability to speak the language, not having proper school uniform, but being in school, it kind of makes you different. And uh, in a way, there is some form of discrimination. Uh, so because of that, I always found myself alone. And I had a privilege to access that book. So that kept me company during my first days of school. And it really motivated me. That's that's a really heartwarming story because yeah. that's, that's a great property of, of literature, of music to sort of alleviate loneliness and yeah. to, to communicate experience. To communicate, yeah. <laughs> and that's also interesting to note because um, it, many uh, parts of the political situation in Africa are not very well known Yes. Uh, in Canada. What is the, is, is the, the climate of discrimination, for example, mm. in Swaziland faced by uh, yourself and other uh, Congolese migrants? What is that dynamic like now? Is there change in action or mm. is it um, a very negative progression yeah well uh i will start by saying that's exactly the reason why we have days like the world refugee day which is today Mm -hmm. to like try and communicate to the general public say hey they are refugees refugees are also people Uh, we have to integrate them in our societies in swaziland discrimination is not that much as compared to some other african countries for instance xenophobia is a huge deal in south africa Mm. And uh, actually, my family was forced to leave Malawi in 2012 because of also some xenophobic attacks. But Swaziland seems pretty chilled. Uh, Swaziland is a very quiet country. I wouldn't say politically stable, but it's, uh, people are silent or are silenced, so to say. So there is not much action happening. The refugee camp in Swaziland is uh, kind of secluded from the main parts of the country where there is a lot of activity, uh, like the cities like Manzini or Mbabane, uh, but still students at school do face some forms of discrimination. Uh, when you are at school, you realize that refugee children are always together. They cling together because there is less socialization coming from the Swazi uh, students. Yeah, that's... Uh it's unfortunate, you know, when it's you know when you're placed in the new area and you feel, mm. yeah, that's a story we get sometimes. You know, w- when when we, you think about this, 
especially when you have to move a yeah. lot. Like, you, you, you feel like it's hard to settle in an area mm. because, you know, when you move around a lot. I, it's, it, it's very interesting to me, you know, when I think about this, because I, like, I, I'm very ignorant about a lot of this, and I suspect <laughs> a, a lot of my peers are, and like, like you said, considering the day, like, there's definitely a lot of mindfulness yeah. that, that needs to be tendered that really isn't present or isn't at least optimally present. What would be one thing that you think is within the reach of anybody listening that they could do to hmm. inform themselves on this issue to help make a difference to inform themselves. aside from buying the book which they should do <laughs> they should yeah you know essentially it all starts with uh, willingness you know mm-hmm. uh, like all these world issues that you are talking about climate change sustainability uh, migration crisis Crisis is not a word that I really like to use <laughs> because it has a lot of negative connotations. Yeah. But yeah, all these issues, they can be solved. But people should be willing to solve them. And the first step to that is to be willing to inform oneself. So tuning to programs like this, uh, which are uh, hosting speakers who have had to experience such issues firsthand, that would be one way and then reaching out to different libraries, you know, we had we have internet. It's a wonderful resource for anyone, really. You can find anything that you want. So, uh, normally, what we get in news uh, is not a substantive story of what's really going on, and it would be even more appropriate to actually try to scrutinize more and examine the sources of those news and try to follow up. Uh, dig deeper, try to find the exact narrative which has informed the news. So by becoming more familiar uh, with these issues, then we can probably start to engage politically or otherwise. Yeah, that's certainly certainly a very relevant point. That. Mm. And I guess I just have um, one, one question to sort of uh, close the interview with. You've been through. You've seen uh, a, a decent amount of Africa. You've seen. You've been to Germany, and now you're living here. Yeah. What would be the next place you'd want to visit? Oh. <laughs> the next place you'd sort of want to anywhere in the world. Oh wow, that's a hard one. I'm loving Canada. Um, Vancouver is you're... treating me well. <laughs> but yeah, I've since since childhood I've wanted to visit Australia for some reasons. I don't know why. Maybe it's because it seems far away from anywhere I have been. Uh, but that would be the place. Plus, I don't get to hear a lot of chaos coming from Australia and the New Zealand part of the world. So I really want to explore those parts and explore nature there, play some music, you know? Yeah, it's mm. certainly, you know, you've, you've definitely earned the vacation. <laughs> but, you know, yeah, that sounds great. All right, John. It was it was fabulous to have you in the studio. Thank you so much for hosting me. You can check out the book. Let me just let me just take a look there. We, we <laughs> it, it, they they people aversely uh, take it very aversely if we don't include the publishing information. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> um, it is the book is Refugee: A Journey Much Desired by Jean Michel Kofi, um, uh, by. Is it Tellwell Talent? Is it is yeah. that the publisher Tellwell? Tellwell Talent, yeah. Tellwell published by Tellwell. Uh, check out your coffee now. You can copy copy now you can you can find that on on your website as well as news about your upcoming poetry and music releases yes you got a website yeah jmcoffee.com jmcoffee.com and uh, yeah i will be posting more updates i'm uh, like writing a blog on monthly basis i'm hoping to make it bi-weekly and then we'll take it from there that's excellent yeah all right it was great to have you john thank you so much cheers Uh, uh, After a word from our sponsor, we'll be back with uh, myself and correspondent Ileana Sosa. Cheers. We don't need to tell you that Vancouver has a housing problem. Mass evictions. Mass evictions. Unfair rent increases. What happened to rent control and protection from unfair eviction? If these or other housing matters concern you, you may be interested in joining the Vancouver Tenants Union. For more information, visit tenantsunion.ca.
The BC government now covers medications that could reduce your chances of contracting HIV by 90%. PREP stands for pre-exposure prophylaxis and is a preventative measure that HIV-negative folks can take to reduce their risk of becoming positive. Health Initiative for Men suggests that if you have had sex with a partner with HIV, have had a recent STI, have multiple sexual partners, have a history of inconsistent or no condom use, are currently involved in sex work, or have had repeated courses of post-exposure prophylaxis, then you might want to think about looking into PREP measures. CATR and Discorder are not medical professionals. Please refer to your doctor for more information. We're keeping busy, you know. We've rather got to these days. It gets that hot, you can't just sit around or else you're going to start to stew. Uh, this is all, This is once again the Arts Report. I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ileana Sosa. Is your microphone on? Let me just check about that. Hello, Go. hello, hello. Hello, you know, you know. Is this a musical segment right now? Uh, it could be, but based on the reactions we had to the last episode, I, I really don't think uh, that's recommended <laughs> again. I think it's actively discouraged most of the time. They're like, we're here to listen to reviews. We're not here for a singing performance. Well, I think they're they're more like, um, why is this rambling lunatic starting to sing? We, we, we thought it was like Dada's poetry for the first little bit, but not not, not at this point. How are you doing, Eliana? I'm doing pretty well. I'm sorry I came here a little late, but it was that interview was very interesting, and I wish I could have been a part of it. But He is an insanely accomplished man. That's, I'm, that's an interview that was very fantastic. I mean, that's the sort of I, – I really feel a lot of the time that this, this show can get a little academic – in that it's a little distant mm-hmm. from tangible. I'm maybe maybe that's actually maybe that's more about my random seegs into Cab Calloway impressions. But um, don't worry, they have me who doesn't know that stuff, and so <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's, it's, I really get with the audience. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's 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 the thing, isn't it? But um, as far as it is. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm like, you know, I, I enjoy having guys like John to John. I, I know him from a class and, you know, he's doing a lot and he's, he's the same age as we are. You know, that, that's a hell of a thing. 
Hang on, it's, it's just it's just fantastic. Um, real quick shout out I want to do um, before uh, before we carry on with this because this is going to be a little more of a free form show. Um, we have uh, Sweet Bubbling Nights coming up this Saturday uh, by Soulful Productions. And if that doesn't sell you on it, I really don't know what else will. Um, this is a at Van- is at Vancouver Playhouse uh, at eight o'clock. It brings together 23 of the city's most iconic musical talents, female impersonators, and dancers in support of the LGBTI Pulse Memorial Scholarship. It's the first of its kind in the United Nations system presented by International Organization for Migration. It's the IOM, the UN Migration Agency, and it's awarded to lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender, intersex, and queer youth worldwide who are in pursuit of a university or college degree. Um, it, it's uh, apparently... I So I've... Uh, I'm kind of, I like a lot of, you know, soul music and R&B. So this is something I kind of stumbled across in our email. I'm like, cool. Yeah, this would be interesting. And it's uh, a lot of soul, a lot of Motown funk, uh, complete with show tunes and drag. So that's a fun time. I actually, see, here's the thing. I know that there's a great drag scene in Vancouver, but I'm not very familiar with it. It's very similar to the burlesque scene, I imagine. I imagine there's a lot of overlap there. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm not a huge drag fan, but I have a lot of friends that are very interested in drag, so I know kind of that scene. Burlesque shows are more, <laughs> are somehow more to my taste, since I find them a little bit more fun and more interactive. Did you cover Virago Nation when they were in? I don't think I did. Because we had, they were at the, uh, the night shift at MOA a while ago, and they've done some, no, that was a Discorder feature, I remember. Right. Yeah, that, that that is a different thing than than what I'm doing. I I, I really really I got to stop hitting my head so much. Uh, Shout out to Discord. <laughs> <laughs> no, that that was a good feature though, and it, it's it's usually you know it's interesting to see that because that that is something that what that really is very Vancouver. Oh yeah. Like the all Native women burlesque show. Oh man, that sounds so awesome! Yeah, yeah. Like, like I said, they, they were um, they were great at night shift. I, I, I'm looking forward to night shift when they come back. I missed a couple of them, but uh, you know, so it is. So it goes. You know what is on though? Ooh, the tell me. Vancouver Irish Film Festival. Very similar thing. <laughs> oh, I didn't know there was an Irish film festival. Yeah, it's right. It's the reason I'm going to be doing my Irish in, uh, impression. You know, for a little while. I think it's a good accent, I think. You know? Um, I think as an accent, it's pretty passable. Is that right? What? There's a funny thing I realized with the Irish. Uh, is it uh, during the... Uh, the thing is, they don't say film. They say film. Film? Film, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's very similar. It's, it's a funny thing, though. Because, you know, film is, uh, you know, a movie. And film is what you say when you want Philip to do something, but you can't remember what it is. <laughs> that, yeah. um... Phil, um... Uh, um, the, the, um, um, slice the baguette? No, that's not it. And, you know, sort of thing. Although, I, I also do want to say that I did see quite a good, you know, quite an enjoyable film, uh, or film, as the case may be, uh, very recently, and that is The Drummer and the Keeper. Ooh, tell me about it. So The Drummer and the Keeper is a, uh, is, it, so it's, it, it's a film <laughs> about a drummer and a keeper. Okay. Uh, the keeper for those who are, you know, like myself, uh, see football as something that's played with an oblong ball on a large field, is a soccer goal ca- goaltender. Oh, okay. And uh, it's the film focuses on a friendship between a drummer, uh, Gabriel, and a goalkeeper, Christopher. And uh, Gabriel has bipolar disorder pretty nasty case of bipolar disorder and Christopher is autistic. Okay, cool. Um, oh, they're played by Dermot Murphy and Jacob McCarthy, respectively. Just, uh, just, just feeling like that was relevant. Um, and they, uh, they become friends through, because uh, Gabriel has to, so, the first scene of this movie, before the, the, the premise kicks in, I do want to point this out. The first scene of this movie is a stringy Iberian-looking dark Irishman. That's this Gabriel. Um, I'm like, 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 like he, he looks very Spanish. He's got a very striking look to him. 
Okay. And it's him wearing a leather jacket, a t-shirt, and sneakers. Any pants? No. Neither underwear. Dragging a couch out of a hearse down to a beach and setting it ablaze with lighter fluid. Then the drummer and the keeper. That is such a... No dialogue. <laughs> That's a powerful scene to start off with. <laughs> it is. It, 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 and it's it's as sort of a theme in it is that him destroying things of meaning to him. Okay. Uh, usually by burning them when he has manic episodes. And... Like the, the Now, the director, Nick Kelly, he's also the writer, had a pre-recorded Q&A after it. And he explained the genesis of this film, or film. <laughs> sorry. I love how you're still holding on to I, it. I was like, <laughs> sorry, I, I, I really shouldn't red skeleton my own impressions. Yeah, it, 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 he used to laugh at all his own jokes, like, <laughs> every time after him. Like, it was it was not, uh, not, not the best look on him. But... The drummer, the, the director and writer Nick Kelly, um, who was in rock bands when he was younger, said he knew a lot of musicians who had bipolar because the job sort of benefits that sense of, woo, yeah, like when you're up, but also when you're low, you know, it's a very extreme way to live mm-hmm. in a rock band. And um, similarly, he has a child with autism. And that's how he sort of uh, saw, to, saw the similarities and the differences involved because it, uh, people with autism or Asperger's specifically in this one, but Asperger's actually no longer in the DSM and the movie mentions that, which was interesting, but they t- tend to seek consistency and clarity, which is why people with Asperger's or high functioning autism, as we would now call it. Mm. Hmm. Sorry. That was just, uh, I just a yawn. <laughs> no, I get tired sometimes. You know, it, it's the, you oh, know, Howdy, howdy, no. No, but the um, the thing about Asperger's or high-functioning autism, as the case may be, is that it enables these powers of focus and interest in things that are controllable. Because when you know something about everything, there's no surprises. Yeah. It's sort of a common sentiment there. So characters like Christopher, who knows the average height of most goalkeepers and the defects in model trains in, in Lego because he's he's has a fondness for Lego but similarly also has a fixation on rules like he doesn't know the rules he doesn't he doesn't know the rules he can't he can't you need, need to teach him the rules there sort of thing mm-hmm. it, it occurs to me that the Irish accent doesn't really convey autism very well that's a remark that could do really badly if it's taken out of context I do want to point yeah. that out yeah <laughs> <laughs> But the the it's it's an interesting characterization because the the wardrobe choices, the appearance, the two of them look like they look very different, like from the outset, and it is that kind of opposite friendship. And it does a, it does a, I, I will say this: it has a happy ending. It has some very dark moments. There is a point in the movie where they sort of reach this rock bottom moment for um, for for Gabriel. And I was really wondering how they're going to make him likable again. Oh. Like, you'd have to maybe see the movie. It's worth checking out, you know, for for that. Is it one of those movies where it's like, this is going to be a serious movie, so get ready for some serious feelings and to cry a little bit? It is like a, sort of like an indie, it, it, it feels a lot like Sing Street. You ever see Sing Street? Yes. So, how do you feel about Sing Street? Because I love Sing Street. I love Sing Street. <laughs> so, it's a very similar movie in that you know the story. The story of Sing Street is a story that's been told in many movies specifically, but it's done very well, and it's done with a good, like, the best possible components. Mm-hmm. So, with that in mind, it, it comes off, it doesn't come off as weary or hackneyed. It is, like, let's say it was Sing Street. Sing Street is not a movie you'd call unpredictable. Yeah. In most moments, I would say. As a coming-of-age story, as a romance story, as a movie about music. But it is a good one, and it doesn't feel unoriginal, is the thing. Because you're never thinking in Sing Street, oh, I know what's gonna happen. Get to it. No, you're like, oh, this is charming. 
It's like, and then it's driving like you stole it, like you stole it gets stuck in your head, as it will, and it Always. is now. <laughs> Likewise with Drummer and the Keeper, because it takes this mismatched friendship, which you've seen in a lot of indie movies, a lot of Oscar movies, and it's a concept that is is it's difficult to do well, but it is doable. Mm-hmm. And they take it, and then they make it into something that is. Obviously, it's felt by the director. I could, I could get that with the Q and A. Like he's got personal experiences informing this, and that makes sense in the film. So the film, as the case may be, is worth seeing. Uh, that is at part of the Vancouver Irish Film Festival, by the way, which I highly recommend checking out. There's a lot of there's a lot of pictures from from Ireland sort of coming in. And the interesting thing about the Irish Film Festival, you know, is that uh, if he gets a membership, if you guys if he, if he, if Yost gets membership and Yost goes in, yeah, you know, now I'm just starting to sound like a J.M. Singe character, maybe Martin McDonough. Yeah. <laughs> I've also been reading Samuel Beckett's uh, biography. We'll get to that in a second, but the they will give you uh, a whiskey ginger. It's like a shot of a shot's worth of Jameson and ginger ale, uh, Fentiman's ginger ale too. So it's good ginger ale and a thing of Irish potato chips, tatoes. <laughs> I love how the the you were like I have to do the Irish accent with potatoes. I just have to. What with the ta- It's called tatoes. I don't think there's it's it's tato. No, it's it's like you have to pronounce it that way. That's who it's made for. That's what it's intended to be pronounced as. It's tatas. It's it's tatoes. <laughs> I love it. I just love it. Okay. Tatoes. No, that, that's that, that's the chips there. What are they made of? Ta- there's tatoes. What are they made of? Potatoes. Okay. It's really easy there. There's lots of things in Ireland that are made of potatoes. It's pretty good, you know. I you know. know. They got the chin. <laughs> it's made of potatoes. They figure out, that's the thing about Ireland, you know, is the thing is, they think the Irish got a lot of whiskey, and they do, but they also got patin, you know, which is sort of like a sort of oddgy moonshine sort of thing made from potatoes. Oh, really? And it knocks you right out, so. You know, they say a point of plane is your only man, but they never had, you know, a shot of patin, you know. It sits you right on your, sits you right on your axles there. You know, <laughs> no, that's a little bit there, and you, you know, be rolling down Grofton Street looking for the bar. But the problem is, there is no bar, so that Ed Sheeran song, right, Lloyd, to you. And then, you know, you end up being very confused because, you know, your Galway girl said there's Grofton Street inside the bar, which, you know, the thing is, so you're just rolling down there, you're, you're hammered on Pachin, and then you're like, so oh, what? What's, what's going on here? You're what really, you're really going for this very long story. <laughs> well, well, y- y- Yes, yes, I made that up. Yes, it's entirely fictional. Oh, no. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I've, I've, I've actually never been to Ireland, but I would, I would very much like to. Same. Which is a funny thing, because there's a great tradition of Irish writers uh, leaving Ireland. Oh, really? Uh, yeah, Beckett did. Uh, Joyce did. Joyce and Beckett, incidentally, very good friends. We had, uh, I remember in the Gerald Vanderwood interview for Beckett uh, 16, they had the great anecdote about Beckett and Joyce. Um because I, I might have, I think I shared this on the show recently too. Was um, uh, Beckett goes to Joyce? Uh, um, he comes over to his house. Joyce was going blind at that point. Mm-hmm. He his vision failed towards the end of his life, so he could barely write. And he, he, Beckett goes to him. You know, I'm Jim. You know, I I just I, I just couldn't write. You know, it's just so I got nothing to do. You know, jo- jo- Joyce goes. Oh, you know, I couldn't do that either. But you know. I garden. (laughs) Beckett goes, well, at least you've got gardening. At least you've got that. (laughs) I told that story not in the most optimal manner, but so it is. Yeah. It's interesting, though, to look at it because Beckett's novels were very – his early work was very florid, very heavy. Like, if you you have ever read Joyce, a lot like that. Like, very impenetrable. And then, after the Second World War, he sort of rethought some of his priorities and he started also writing in French. Oh, really? Because he could write without a style was his thing. It was a very interesting idea. Um, what do you mean without a style? So in English, it was extremely dense. Like, he had a lot of etymology, a lot of references. But I think his rationale was when he's writing in French, because he's translating the language in his head, it retains a lot more bare-bones meaning to it or retains a lot of ambiguity as well. Hmm. Which I think he tries to cultivate in a lot of his other works, but also it's referential, so it's just confusing. But you can get that, I think, in Waiting for Godot, yeah, but a lot in Endgame. I, was, Endgame might be written in English, actually. And certainly in 
a, a lot of Beckett's dialogue, it does have a very Irish character to it. Like it's it's Irish actors. It's like McDonough or Singe. You know, you, you do it in accent. It does. It just does better. better. But the the interesting thing is that he probably wrote almost all of it in French because it was a way for him to minimize it. Hmm. And because his, his shortest play, this was on the show, was Breath. It's the oh, shortest really? play in the world. It's a single breath. Wait, what? Yeah, it is less than a minute long. I'd try and play a clip, but it's a single breath. I'm not going to capitalize on that. Oh, my God. <laughs> oh, my God. That is, that's pretty, um, I mean, I don't even know what to say, honestly. Mm. Yeah, it's, uh, it is, tis, tis worth a thought. Now, we'll be back with a few more entertaining accents and minuscule impressions in just a minute after some words from our sponsors. Which is funny, you know, because a lot of our sponsors use the CITR ad. <laughs> I wonder why. You know, it's just a funny thing, you know. Hey, they let us do it. Let's just let's just keep in their good graces. When you join Balloon Club, we guarantee that you will be able to make a balloon poodle within the first day. Here at the UBC Ant Club, we just like to talk about ants and compare ant farms. Uh, it's really cool. Paperclip Club is all about, well, paperclips mostly. At Blah Club, you can blah 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 there's only one club worth joining at UBC, and that's CITR 101.9 FM. We got free tickets to shows, whirly pops, professional help in all types of audio engineering, passes to festivals, crazy parties, live band swag, all types of crazy people. Our programming manager rides a motorcycle. There's freestyle rapping, Nardwar, the human serviette, the vinyl and record libraries, Discorder magazine, free studio recording, and it sure beats the hell out of Paperclip Club, which is a thing that I just made up because I work at CITR. So come check us out on the floor of the Student Union Building. We got all types of crazy shit for you to do. Or check us out online at www.citr.ca. This quarter magazine has been supporting local music for over 30 years. Thanks to the long-term support of the Rickshaw Theater, Discorder lives. Favorite bands are playing at the Rickshaw Theater. Check out their calendar just behind the cover of Discorder Magazine or at rickshawtheater.com. And we're back. Top of the morning to you, or is the evening as it's moist event. I'm going to stop doing that. Probably a good idea. Yeah, probably, probably pretty helpful. This is gonna this is gonna be a, pretty, a shorter show. I realize because we were late a little bit because we kind of had a little bit of trouble with the promo. Oh really? Earlier, uh, well with uh, with the um, the the acapella theme, we were having trouble getting that to load, and um, we we managed that with just it's a, it was just a couple of minutes behind the schedule, but we couldn't get it to load without the power cord promo, Ooh. which sounds possibly the sonic opposite of the of our theme. Yeah. <laughs> that's, that's Tom Waits' vocal warm-up. What am I doing? I don't know, but I'm enjoying it either way. Well, you know, that's, that's just, you know, it's just Tom Waits gargle some whiskey and broken glass. And then, screaming! Okay, maybe the Heidi Heidi Ho was a better one there. <laughs> I was going to say, you were like, I'm stopping with the Heidi Heidi Ho, and then you go straight into uh, In the Earth Died Screaming. I'd used to, when people called my house, because uh, when I was in high school, you know, some people would still call me. That sort of dates me right there uh, in the home <laughs> phone. I would sometimes wake it up. I would sometimes open it up with that playing in the background deliberately. That album, Bone Machine, sometimes in the first track on it is The Earth Died Screaming. Are you like, this will make me seem super cool? No, I think it was more like, um, if, uh, if, I think it was more like if, uh, I think, I think it was something more like, um, what, what, why, I remember there was a, there was a specific reason I started doing it. Mm-hmm. I think it was be- oh because a different Tom Waits song called Hell Broke Loose, which isn't on Bone Machine, but uh, I was uh, at one point singing it, and my friends were like, "Jake, why?" And I'm like, I-, "I don't know what you mean. This just sounds, sounds normal." 
normal? Hell Broke Loose is a nightmarish song, by the way. Oh Deliberately God. so. It's about a war veteran committing suicide. Um, but uh, yeah, yeah, Bone Machine. I don't think Tom Waits ever did an Irish accent, and I. No, it's not going to work. It's okay. You know, you ever heard the story of Michael Malloy? No. He's an Irish immigrant um, in the States. He was very, he sort of very, he lived a very sad Irish stereotype. He was an alcoholic. Okay. Uh, and he was destitute. And because at the time there wasn't really a whole lot, of, this was the no Irish need apply era too. So it was rather hard for him to get a job. Um, but he was tough. And when the prohibition started, he started hanging out in speakeasies. He started hanging out in speakeasies. He's sort of just doing odd jobs. And uh, eventually, the owners of speakeasy had the idea, let's take out an insurance policy on him and let him drink till he dies. Slight problem with that. So they tell him, you've got an unlimited tab. He's like, great! And then they just keep pouring him shots until the guy's arm gets tired. Not, not even wavering. So eventually, around midnight, he goes, you know, see you tomorrow. Does this for three straight days. Oh, my God. Until they, they're like, you know what? This is not working. Let's get some wood alcohol, which is paint thinner, and up methanol, basically. And about 4% of that in a drink will make you go blind. And they oh said, let's God. give him straight shots of it. Doesn't work. <laughs> Oh, my God. So they decide, let's ferment oysters in wood alcohol and see if that turns his stomach, because he's very fond of seafood. So he asks, yeah, not at all. The oyster's like, these are delicious. Can I get another drink with these? Oh, my God. So they keep giving him shots of poison, and he keeps drinking them. So then they make a sandwich out of rotten sardines, shrapnel, and broken glass, which they serve to him. Oh, my he God. He eats it and asks for another. That man must have a, a just, liver and a stomach of steel. He's just invincible at this point. So they tried hit, hit, washing him with water and leaving him out in the snow. Doesn't work. They hit him with a cab. Doesn't work. And eventually what they do is they hook a hose up to a, um, up to a gas lamp and they smother him to death. So I When I heard this story, the dollop does an excellent version of this story. I was, you know, you're actually sad when he goes because... But the, the thing is, the guy is trying to kill him, lost more money on all of the booze they needed to kill him than they could make back from the insurance policy. And because carbon monoxide leaves traces in the blood, they fairly easily ascertained the authorities, the insurance investigators, like, oh, something fishy about this, fairly easily ascertained that they murdered Michael Malloy and they all went to jail. Well, at least that's the only happy ending. It is a happy ending. You know, I really didn't... Yeah. So go see the Irish Film Festival. <laughs> yeah. There's got to be a movie about Michael Malloy made. That, that's that's a project. i got to get on Kickstarter for that. I'm sure there is out there. Yeah. Or being made currently. It could be, you know. <laughs> Iron Mike. That's what they called him. Oh, really? Yeah. Huh. It's justified. I mean, clearly he was lined with something. <laughs> hmm? Just like, I just can't imagine what he was thinking, though. Like, these guys are great. <laughs> They're so sweet. They're my best friends. I just go in, I give me a sandwich and a drink right off. <gasps> oh. <laughs> oh. Uh, yeah. 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 This has been kind of tasteless in retrospect. But. As I imagine, the wood alcohol in the sandwich would not have been. But what <laughs> are you going to do? I mean, got to fill up the time somehow. That we do. <laughs> this has been the Arts Report on CITR 101.9 FM, broadcasting from the unceded Musqueam territory of UBC's Point Grey campus. I'm Jake Clark. I'm Ileana Sosa. And we got the Medicine Show coming on after us. Cheers.
Hey, this is Franco Rosino from Nice Apple, and you're listening to CITR 101.9 FM. This is my life. I I wake up in the morning, I eat, I sleep, I sh- Breakfast with the Browns. Or whatever it is, but I never shut it off for five minutes. I can't wait to impress my friends with my astounding knowledge of cool. Join your favorite Brownsters and tune in and listen to the best selection of down-tempo electro-pop lounge core. Strictly Squaresville. Remember. Subtle. Basic. Brown. Breakfast with the Browns. On CITR 101.9 FM. Every Monday morning. From 8 a.m. to 11 a.m. The older I get, the more life starts to make sense, and the less I care. Now we're riding the rainbow, the clouds fit, and we're making it like young. Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville And we're making it like you Now we're riding the rainbow to Cloudsville You know, you can give a hundred examples of what it isn't But man, you're going to have a hell of a time saying what it is This is Laura from Roco Code And you're listening to CITR 